BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody, good afternoon for those of you on the West Coast here on a Tuesday afternoon, a hot as hell Tuesday afternoon. It ain't India or Asia, but it certainly feels like it, Steve. In some uh, in some some ways today, for sure. But we are excited to be diving in on a live show here to talk about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune with two special guests. And uh, before we go forward, we should introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw John Roca, joined by my co-host and my friend Steve Morris. How are you, Steve? I am very, very good. And this conversation has been a long time in coming. I mean, yeah. I have anticipated a lot. I think you've anticipated a lot. I know many of our fans have anticipated a lot. Sure. And I know our guests have anticipated a lot. So I am excited. Another word for anticipated is dreaded. And so we're going to be seeing, you know, both sides. We're going to see both sides here uh, as we get into <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And um, we should give a quick uh, a background for you guys. This is something that we are doing every every month. Live shows. Steve and I are adamant in making these live shows. We've done some more uh, stuff for our patrons. I don't know if you guys have taken a look at the Patreon anytime soon, but we've done some really fun stuff, some new stuff. So if some of you have been um, maybe on the fence about uh, supporting us on the Patreon, please Head on over there to the Patreon, patreon.com slash the cinephiles, and take a look at all the new stuff that we've got available for you. Some of you may have already jumped up, which we thank you for. Some of you joined our advisory council, which already influenced one of the choices that we're going to be making very soon on the channel, or on the show, rather. So just fantastic stuff overall. And today, just like always, the Streamlabs and the Super Chats are open. You see right above our heads in the center there is the Streamlabs address. It's also pinned in the chat and in the description of this video. Um, all right, Steve, before we bring in our guests, I got to ask you this. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 1984, Steven Spielberg, uh, coming back after three years after the incredible success of Raiders of the Lost Ark. What are your thoughts when you think about this movie uh, now in retrospect here in 2023? I want to say one really quick thing first. Oh, yeah, you sure. mentioned this, the advisory board. And I just yes. want to say we had when we had our first meeting with the advisory board, and we're going to do one of those every month, and it was a live Zoom conversation. It was so much fun. It Absolutely. was so great. Yeah. And I really highly recommend and encourage anyone who can to come join us, talk movies, and help us plan what happens next in the Cinephiles. It was fantastic. For sure. And let's add two more things, Steve. We just did our review of Dial of Destiny, you and I, which is up mm -hmm. there for the patrons. And we just posted our watch along of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which was literally like climbing a mountain, Mount Everest possibly, <laughs> to finish. So it has been Indiana Jones all day and all night up yep. here on the Cinephiles. So yes, Temple so of Doom. 
so to answer your question in, in the briefest way I can, I absolutely loved it when it came out. Raiders of the Lost Ark had been one of my favorite movies. I loved it when it came out. And then as time went on, I saw flaws in it and the flaws rose. But the things that I love about it, there a lot of them are still there. So that's my my short review for something that I think we'll get into in much more detail, obviously, over the next hour. Absolutely. And I will tease you all that uh, the second viewing of the, well, the most recent viewing of the film I did for this uh, episode. For those of you who don't like the movie, have no fear. You have a champion on this podcast <laughs> for you because I did not like it even more so in 2023 than when I saw it back in 1984. Uh, but two gentlemen who did like it and are here to sing its praises and perhaps maybe concede a couple of the issues with the uh, the film are two uh, friends of ours, Steve, and certainly my two co-hosts on The Geek Buddies. One is a writer, producer, a showrunner, lyricist, dare I say, and a massive uh, Steven Spielberg fan, and that is the great Michael Vogel. How are you, Michael? How are you Ooh, feeling? I am ready for this conversation. <laughs> uh, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. And of course, we got to bring in our fourth person on this panel. This gentleman, when you say Indiana Jones, when I say Indiana Jones in my mind, when I hear anyone say Indiana Jones in my mind, this is the person I think about the most. Massive fan of Indiana Jones and certainly someone who is moved and touched by the entire series for sure. He is an actor, writer, uh, dare I say, producer and fantastic uh, uh, geek buddy overall. And that is the great Shannon McClung. Oh, there it is. How are you, Shannon? I am okay. I'm excited to talk. I'm really excited to talk about this movie. I especially want to, I mean, I know John's thoughts broadly. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to hear Steve's uh, specific criticisms that have risen up over the years. And I can't wait to uh, smack them down with my bullwhip. Oh my God. Wow. Smack got down like, like indie smack short round, I guess. But yes, we've also got, uh, we've also got six questions from our patrons. There's a, we sent out an email to you all. And so we're going to ask them during, through the course of the uh, of the show. And as I said earlier, these are one of the perks that you get with being at a certain level of the Patreon, uh, Patreon here on the Cinephile. So we look forward to answering those questions. Michael, I go to you first. I asked Steve this question. It's 2023. This film came out in 1984. Uh, we just had Dial of Destiny come out, which all four of us have seen. So your thoughts as you think about Dial, uh, uh, sorry, think about Temple of Doom and as you prepare for this conversation. I think uh, I really enjoy it. I watched it again this weekend. Um, now, to your point, and I think Shannon and I both fall into this category, there are certain movies that you see in a certain range of your childhood <laughs> that you are just going to love, and that is the end of that story. You're just going to love. But right. <clears throat> I actually find Temple of Doom to be a fascinating movie on multiple levels. It's sort of this weird Steven Spielberg time capsule. Like, there are absolutely... Looking at it with a uh, with an eye towards what is appropriate in 2023, there are absolutely a lot of things that just don't quite wash. Well, what's quite the time fly capsule? Today. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, but it's also a great time capsule for like Steven Spielberg at his peak as a director. Um, I think Fair. that, and I know I know that you guys have talked Dial of Destiny, uh, Geek Buddies have talked Dial of Destiny, but like for me, even though I general generally really liked Dial of Destiny, there was a sense of fun in the sequences that I wish there had been more of. And when you look at Temple of Doom, just every sequence 
uh, is just this really, it's Spielberg just having a blast and being silly and fun. And that's something that I've found missing uh, in the more recent Indiana Jones stories. The other thing, and I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit is, yeah. Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom and Gremlins, the, for the two movies that brought us PG-13. So, you right. know, Kali Ma and the heart coming out of the chest, you're like, this is intense. And the rest of Hollywood thought so too. So Steven Spielberg was like, let's make another rating. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about, but my overall thing coming back from reviewing it this weekend was uh, definitely a lot of 2023 things to look back and go, oh, that's a little cringy. But overall, it's Steven Spielberg at his peak as a director having an absolute blast. And for me, that's what really shines through with this movie. Yeah, Shannon, I mean, you look at this film, it's really an interesting time uh, in the 80s, right? 1984 here, almost mid-80s. Ki Hui Kwan, who knew that he would be the Oscar winner from the cast uh, at this stage in our lives? Of course, <laughs> Not Harrison Ford. <laughs> Not Harrison Ford, sure. <laughs> Steven Spielberg, of course, winning his Oscar for Schindler's List and other things, but certainly Ki Hui Kwan now back in our lives. But what an interesting time to be looking back on this movie with Kate Capshaw, Harrison Ford, uh, Amrish Puri, who plays, who plays Molo Ram, Roshan Seth, who we know from Gandhi, who played Nehru in Gandhi, Philip Stone, who, of course, is Grady in The Shining, for those of you who don't remember, Roy Chow, who plays uh, uh, Lao Che. He is the uh, trainer for Jean-Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport. And Rick Young plays Bruce Lee's dad in The Dragon Story that Rob Cohen directed with Jason Lee. So, um, Shannon, your thoughts here as you look back on this film, as Michael mentioned, a bit of a time capsule, but also as Steve talked about this, like bringing out the best of Spielberg. What do you think about this film now? I mean, you know, I I can't disagree with that. I mean, the, the whole uh, when they were kind of coming up with Temple of Doom, the first thing that they did was go into the drawer where sequences that they couldn't fit in Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, they put them in this movie, like, mm. you know, the minecart chase, the uh, the river raft. Um, those are all things that were originally conceived for a different movie, but they knew those sequences were going to be so spectacular and so fun. Mm. And so Indiana Jones, that it's like, we absolutely have to uh, have to use these. Um, now, prior to Crystal Skull, you know, Indiana Jones is is one of my favorite franchises, if not my favorite franchise. Right. Temple of Doom was the one I went back to the least. I mean, I definitely uh, acknowledge the superiority of Raiders in The Last Crusade, but that doesn't mean to what Vogel already said that Temple of Doom is not a whole lot of fun. Along with Steven Spielberg's uh, just having a blast directing this movie, I think there is a swagger to Harrison Ford oh, that yes. we don't get again. Because oh. Last Crusade, he's kind of on his heels for the last half of that movie because of his dad. Mm. Um, and we really don't get it in Crystal Skull. And by the time we get to Dial of Destiny, I mean, he is a he is a different Old. man altogether. Yeah. <laughs> well, true. He's not altogether. <laughs> and well, Temple of Doom is maybe one of the reasons why he was not altogether going forward. <laughs> um, but I really like, again, I think it is a it, it's a great movie to watch almost as a Republic serial. It's a great movie to watch mm. in sections. It's what I've been doing uh, when I've been on my break at work, um, getting to see 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Um, and it has been, you know, it, it's been so much fun. Now to the um, issues that have arisen, uh, uh, you know, in the last you know few years. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely images that don't <laughs> that don't quite work anymore. Um, there's one in particular, which I will save it. Yeah. Um, I, I told Vogel about it. I told you about this already on Geek Buddies, John. I'm like, oh, I've got a bullet in the chamber. <laughs> and I shared it with Vogel. And he's like, eh, that might not be the silver bullet. You 
yeah, but we, definitely bring it up. We're certainly going to find out. Yeah, you know, I'm not the person who is the one who enjoys it. So I will be the outlier. I'll be out on my island here. Uh, and it just, to, to me, it for it just doesn't work. It's so childish. It's like, to me, it's just the, where there was like a real maturity to Raiders of the Lost Ark and real stakes and an older a story being told. This one feels like it's made for five-year-olds. And for me, at 14 years old, watching this movie, I, I feel like I had outgrown the movie uh, when I had seen it. So for me, it, it, it never really worked. And then it didn't have the magic that I really loved about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I would argue, counter to Michael, that I enjoy the Dial of Destiny magic much more than I enjoy any magic in, in, in Temple of Doom. That being said, the action sequences are fantastic. And even with the 4K version where you can see the CGI and it is tough to watch in certain moments, the plane crashing, them going down the hill and everything, there are moments where it doesn't work. But um, they're, they're, the action sequences are fantastic. And there's a darkness to this that I don't think Indiana Jones came back to in any other version with the uh, idea of a cult and this idea of them taking the heart out of a person and burning them up and the heart going like there's some real dark stuff in this film amidst all the childish stuff. So it's an interesting mix of tonal shifts that I think for me don't 100 percent work overall. But of course, I respect my fellow colleagues thoughts on this. Steve, you're a writer. I'll go to you first on this one here. Uh, Willard Hike and Gloria Katz, who were married uh, uh, all through this uh, until uh, I think Gloria passed away, but they were a married couple writing this along with George Lucas. They had written American Graffiti as well. Unfortunately, they go on to write and produce Howard the Duck, but that less, less said about that, the better. What are your thoughts about the writing in this? You know, we're dealing with Indiana Jones, who at the beginning is dealing with this Chinese uh, gangster, Lao Che, and then ends up escaping, thanks to Dan Aykroyd's incompetence, on a plane that is Lao Che's plane. Uh, ends up, uh, you know, jumping out there onto the onto the um, snow. They're looking like James Bond a little bit with Kate Capshaw and Kihu Kwan with him. And then ends up essentially falling into this mission where he has to go and get one of Sankara stones so that this village can get its children back and get its um, uh, water back and agriculture back and survive again and take on this the thuggies cult and uh, Mola Ram. So what are your thoughts uh, about the writing in this movie and how they set everything up? Well, I would say that you kind of have to go to, and this is what Shannon brought up earlier, to kind of to the intent both of Raiders and Temple of Doom of where they started, mm. which is the idea of we want to um, make the platonic ideal of these movie serials, these crappy sort of childish movie serials that we love coming up. We want to bring these to the big screen in a way they've never been done before. And yeah. so when you go to writing, it's like, well, the job of those movie serials was not to deliver good writing. The job of the movie serials was to deliver thrills and cliffhangers that would each get you to the next one. And so do I think that this is a beautifully written script filled with nuance and subtlety? No, <laughs> I don't think that. I think they are working on, and this is what's hard. It makes it hard to talk about the film. It's like, there's a certain point when you're kind of exploring these cliches. Mm. And that was part of what was fun in Raiders was for me as the oldest person here. I recognized some of those things coming out of movie serials and understood the references. But then at a certain point, it's just Indiana Jones. Mm. And so the weaknesses of some of the script, you know, it's like, no, there are some weak parts. And some of the characters are their 80s versions of the cliche and sometimes very offensive caricatures that came out of those movie serials. And so, yeah, I think there's 
you know, in terms of, you know, it's like I watch Kung Fu movies to see great fight scenes. Mm. And the fact that the scripts were crappy, as long as it delivered the great fight scenes, I was cool. On some levels, this the purpose of the screenplay is to take us from action sequence and Indiana Jones set piece from one to the next one. And so does it do that really well? And as you said, are those action sequences all really good? Yeah. And so, yes, there are flaws in the writing. Yes, there are weaknesses in these caricatures. I would say caricatures to some degree. I would agree with but, that. Yeah. But but that is what it was trying to deliver, you know. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, line. It walks, Mike. You're uh, Steve's absolutely right because it is a homage <clears throat> to how those films and those serials viewed people from China, people from India. So in a way, it could escape what it's doing. But I think if you were to make this film in 2023, obviously, it'd be much more aware of how you're portraying yeah. the Indian culture because it was banned in India. This film was banned in India because of the portrayal of its culture, uh, even how the Chinese are portrayed through Lao Che and all of that at the beginning, even though they're played for fun caricatures, it's still an interest. It's still an un un uncomfortable portrayal. And of course, with uh, Kate Capshaw's portrayal here, she is just a screaming damsel in the dress in, in distress who just falls in love with Indy no matter what and is constantly all about diamonds and money and security and safety um, uh, and singing when she can. So your thoughts here, Mike, on the script overall and what we got in terms of the pacing and going towards a, the, the cult and then at the end here, Indy becoming the uh, kind of savior of these people in a way, the white savior of these people in a way. Well, I mean, okay, so two things. One, yeah. because we're talking about it and there's no way to sort of avoid talking about it, yeah. I think that when it comes to all of the portrayals, the portrayals of Short Round, the portrayals of Indians yeah, and sure Indian right. culture, the portrayals of Willie Scott as a female character in this movie, like you just have to get to a certain point where you say, this was made in 1984. And to John's point, there were people in 1984 that were like, this isn't okay. But culture yes. as a whole, this was acceptable. Right. Not everyone thought it was right, but it was acceptable. So sure. when I'm watching Raiders of the Lost, I mean, when I'm watching Temple of Doom, I kind of watch it the same way that I watch episodes of Friends on Max. Like, I thought Friends was the funniest show in the world growing up. Hmm. I go back and watch Friends now, and I don't think I can get through a single episode without something making me cringe about yeah. women, gay people, trans people, people of color, anything. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that Friends is still one of the funniest shows, funniest sitcoms in like network television history. So mm -hmm. I think with Temple of Doom, we will talk about all of the portrayals. And when you're talking about the writing, yeah, none of those would fly today. We yeah. would not make this movie the way that it is made today. Now for 1984, I think kind of to Steve's point, look, is this a subtle movie that's nuanced that has like amazing commentary <laughs> on humanity? No, but from a writing standpoint, what it sets out to do, it does very well. Willie Scott might not, uh, might not be a female portrayal that would be acceptable in 2023, but she is damn funny. And I think it's really fun, especially after Raiders and seeing this relationship between Indy and Marion Ravenwood, to throw him into this kind of screwball, kind of 19, mm. you know, like the, oh, come on, Dr. Jones, I just want, like, 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 Willie Scott is a very funny portrayal of something that we wouldn't portray today. But she's done really well, and Kate Capshaw does a great job. Uh, the whole white savior story of him landing in a village where... 
nobody seems to be a warrior or strong or able to take care of their own village and being like, I'm going to go save you. Like the movie is set up that he's all out for fortune and glory. He's all out to find these Shankara stones because it's going to really put his name on the map even more. And it's going to make him famous. And then at the end, he leaves the stones behind because yeah. he's realized that's what's more important. So the basic screenwriting of why this movie feels like it works is all there uh, just in ways that we probably wouldn't tackle uh, in exactly the same way today. Yeah, I think one of the fascinating moments at the beginning is when Lao Che essentially calls out Indy and accuses him of the things that Indiana Jones has, uh, the character has been accused of by critics of the series. You know, we yeah. say, you were a grave robber, you did this, you took these artifacts for your own benefit, for your own, and remember people, this is a prequel film, for those of you watching who may not know this, this is a prequel, so this is before Raiders of the Lost Ark in terms of the timeline. So that's an interesting thing that they threw in there, and I wonder if George had heard that criticism and threw it in there to kind of have a back and forth about it through the two characters of Lao Che and Indiana Jones. So interesting stuff. Um, Shannon, your thoughts on the writing here as we go uh, through the beats of this movie all the way uh, to the end there, whereas Michael said he, he returns the stones, he doesn't take the stones and him and Willie possibly although they never do, uh, hook up later on in life. What, what are your well, thoughts? They might hook up for a little bit, like three weeks. <laughs> yeah, I bet, yeah, that, I bet Willie and Indy had an amazing three weeks. <laughs> yeah, until, until the director got involved, and then he yeah. said, no, no, no. <laughs> sure, Ralph got all the details, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that is not a relationship that is destined to... No. <laughs> you know, they were thrown together in extraordinary circumstances, uh, and, and that's pretty much going to be it. The moment they... The moment they get back to Missouri, where Willie is from, she's like, "Oh yeah, I can't. <laughs> we're we're not gonna. We're not made to. We're not, we're not made to be." Uh, in terms of the writing, look, I think again, I think it's fun. I'm I'm looking at it as one of those older public serials. You know, you look at the the exciting sequences. Um, so I think from a stand from that standpoint, it all works. I mean, again, these are not prior to Last Crusade. These are not overly emotional movies. I mean, yeah. these are exciting movies. And it's only when we really get the introduction of Indy's dad and in Last Crusade that we yeah. do. And, and that's why Last Crusade is some people's favorite Indy movies, yeah. because not just the chemistry that Harrison Ford and Sean Connery had, but because of the emotional story there, the, you know, unifying, uh, reunif uh, reuniting of, uh, of a child and a parent. So with this, I mean, this, I, I don't think they ever tried to make any sort of, it, it, they were trying to make a fun Indiana Jones movie. Now, with short round, you know, Kiwi Kwan has said afterwards, like he he didn't he doesn't see the the racism that other people have said that this this character is a problem. Yeah. And so I honestly think like looking over a little bit of the script, um, his short rounds lines are written as any kid would speak. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's nothing added in for comic effects. It is this is this is the kid's line. Um, he had one line. Mike, I read the script. <laughs> I mean, it's it's literally says he says, "Hey, no one touches Doctor Jones' whip like that." You you can take a kid with any accent or no accent, and that line reads the same. Yeah. Um, I, I think the 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 power of Short Round as a character is the performance of Kiwi Kwan. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you have as, as good an actor that is from Detroit or Columbia or wherever, I think you still get that performance. Um, I think the reason the character was so strong was because of the performance of Kiwi Kwan. 
Um, but when folks say afterwards, again, I'm looking at it from a certain point of view. When, right. when folks say afterwards, ah, this is kind of an issue. It's not my job to dismiss that claim. It's my job to listen, even though I may not necessarily um, see that point of view. As to the the Indian side, yeah, yeah, that's y- y- you got me. <laughs> <laughs> It is. it is. And we'll get to a question about that in just a second. But Shannon, I want to swing back to you and then go back around the panel. What are your thoughts about how uh, Harrison Ford plays Indiana Jones in this movie? You are an adamant Indiana Jones fan as a character. And of course, you love Harrison Ford. But like, what do you enjoy about his portrayal of Indiana in this particular movie? Because it is distinctly different from his portrayal of Indiana in Raiders. That's one of the things I really like about it is, you know, when he's meeting with Lao Shea at the beginning, um, he's going after a diamond. Like he found some remains uh, of an emperor of one of his ancestors and he's he's exchanging it for ca- for cash money. Um, and, you know, you talk about the fortune, you know, he, he tells Willie in short round about, you know, this is fortune and glory. Mm-hmm. And by the end, he sees that maybe that's not the way to go. And that is where we kind of pick him up with Raiders is even though that fertility idol at the beginning is not his to take. He's yeah. not trying to sell it for a profit. He's trying to put it in a museum. He's like, this, this would be better served if everybody could see it. Now, the everybody that you know he's referencing happens to be you know, in the U.S., uh, but it's, he's, no longer, uh, he's no longer an adventurer for profit. At least that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. By the end of the movie, yeah. Um, yeah. Your thoughts, Mike, on how Harrison Ford plays Indiana Jones in this movie? I mean, I think Shannon said it best at the top. Like Harrison Ford just has a swagger in this movie that's a ton of fun. Mm. Um, you know, Raiders, they really made a point in Raiders, and they say this when you see interviews about it, that they wanted audiences to see Indy fuck up. They wanted mm. to see Indy be scared. They wanted to see Indy be overwhelmed. I think that's one of the things that made Indiana Jones feel so different when he first came out. He wasn't this hero that was just like, this is where they kind of departed from the whole let's do the serial, the old school serial idea where somebody was like just the hero who always saved the day. This was a hero who saved the day who was going to fall on his ass a little bit. <laughs> and I think with Temple of Doom, uh, even though he definitely has his fair share of comedic moments and falling on his ass, there's just this swagger to him that's a ton of fun. It's the only movie, I think, out of all the Indiana Jones movies where we don't have a Dr. Henry Jones part. Uh, really. I mean, mm. we see him in that we see we, we never see him like in the classroom. We never have that. Here's sure. where he is right, teaching. Right. Like definitely like when they're at dinner, he's more Dr. Henry Jones as he's talking to everybody about the history of things. But, you know, this is mostly Indiana Jones, the adventurer thrown into some crazy, crazy shit. Uh, and I think also the relate. I mean, the relationship the, the portrayal of Short Round aside, which I have some thoughts on, but like the relationship between Indy and Short Round is something that's very unique too. I think for a lot of kids of a certain age who saw this movie, the reason that Short Round is so awesome and why he's so beloved is because Indy was hanging out with a kid. Right. Like I'm 10 years old. I could be out on an adventure with Indiana Jones and seeing that sort of paternal aspect of him, not just with short round, but with the fact that he like, you know, goes back to save all the children and does all these mm-hmm. things. Like it just, it was, a, it was, it was not exactly the same guy that we saw in Raiders. It was, it still felt like him, but I'm not going to say that there was nuances to it, but there were some different shades to Indy in this that makes him, that makes this movie stand out as like a really fun Indy. I think that's a good, excellent point. He feels more selfish initially in this movie, much more cavalier about other people's lives and other people involved in this situation. And then he learns, he grows from when that kid falls in his arms, even though he takes 
what the kid gives him and uses that as something. But he but like he changes when when that kid falls in his arms to what he goes after to what because he doesn't want to go on the mission, Steve. He doesn't want to go and do this stuff. He's a reluctant hero, and certainly we know that as a tenet of numerous martial arts movies, which you brought up earlier. He you know the reluctant hero who gets thrust into this adventure and in the end uh, ends up righting a wrong. So. What are your thoughts about how Indiana Jones is portrayed here by Harrison in, in this movie? So one interesting thing for me, at least, I never understood that this was a subtle um, evolution of his character until, you know, the last 10 years mm. going from the fortune and glory Indiana Jones, you know, even though he says it's, it belongs in a museum when he's a teenager, you know, and that, and, mm. and, and frankly, I think it's good that they have this evolution. I also think that we as a society are figuring out that, hey, maybe the British Museum going and stealing everybody's stuff and just bringing it all home, maybe that actually wasn't so cool to do. Yeah. And so maybe Indiana Jones is evolving in those ways. But the big thing that I wanted to say is like, Indiana Jones as a character is not a perfect guy and not even close. And neither is Han Solo. Both of them have blind spots they can be arrogant, they can be grumpy, they can be dismissive, they can be all sorts of things. And that's part of what makes them great characters. It's just like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man is not a perfect person. You know, Thor is not a perfect person. Batman's not a perfect person. Like all these characters we're drawn to yeah. are not Captain America and Superman. I love Captain America and Superman too. But if the if all of our heroes were perfect, this would be a pretty boring world that we're living in. And yeah. so this idea Jones he can be a jerk. But part of him being a jerk is that swagger. Mm. You can't you don't don't get to have swagger without a little bit of arrogance to go along with it. Those come hand in hand. And yeah. so part of the joy of watching him is that we're not like Indiana Jones. We are actually more sensitive to other people than he probably is. We are less single-minded than Indiana Jones is. Indiana Jones is like, I'm going to do this thing and I don't give a shit. You yeah. know, I walk into any totally bizarre, dangerous situation I have to, to get the thing that I want to get, because yeah. that's what Indiana Jones is about. And so I, I think the, the one other thing to say, by the way, it's not just that this is the darkest movie in terms of ripping mm. people's hearts out and things like that. When Indiana Jones is a scary zombie in this movie. Yeah, it's really fucking scary. I mean, yeah. it is a disturbing and upset. It might be the most disturbing, upsetting thing in all the Indiana Jones movies, period, for me. Yeah. For years, I thought just uh, lighting people on fire got them to, you know, stop being the way they were being. But that does not work. So you cannot do no. that. You got to let people. We've tried. Kind of <laughs> John John had a lot of arson charges as a unit that have been buried until now. I thought this I thought this calmed him down. I thought this changed him what he was being. Um, let's ask the first question uh, from Logan Vaughn here, one of our patrons, Steve. And uh, I, Michael, I'll throw this one to you. Two questions about Temple of Doom. And of course, we'll go around the table here. When did you first notice the Club Obi-Wan Easter egg? Uh, and two, what grosses you out more? The food at the dinner table or the insect tunnel. For me, the snake dish makes my skin crawl the most. So, Michael, when did you notice the club we want Easter egg, and what grosses you out more, the food at the dinner table or the insect tunnel? I think that club, I, first of all, I didn't notice it. Somebody had to tell me. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to just be honest. Like, at no point did I go, hey! Um, and I think it was in college. Like, I think uh, college, around the time that I met my fellow geek buddies, and we would all sit around and uh, watch our favorite movies over and over again, and kind of like all, like, that's how you, you kind of became friends with college by you found your people right. that liked the same things that you did, and someone who grew up loving Spielberg movies, loving that whole Amblin vibe, if I found somebody else who liked it, like, we were going to watch these movies. And I think it was somewhere in there where somebody was like, yeah, you know, 
he's in club Obi- obi-wan and dan Aykroyd's in the movie i'm like dan Aykroyd is not in temple of doom you are so <laughs> dumb i would know yeah i didn't know um as far as what grosses me out more it's a good question i think when i was younger the food grossed me out more mm. In that thrill as a little kid where, like, something that was super gross just made you go, oh, that's awesome. As an adult, when Willie Scott turns her hand over and that weird bug that looks sort of chewy but in a really horrible way like starts, like, going like this at her, I find that so disgusting. And if I saw a bug like that in real life, I would absolutely lose my shit so it's that de- like as an adult the bugs definitely it ew, ooh, even oh when she reaches in there oh ooh, yeah oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, as, as you said steve indiana making people do certain things they may not normally do because he's so single-minded in trying to get it i think one of those things was making willie stick her hand in that tunnel of insects your thoughts steve uh uh when did you first notice club what you want and is it the dinner scene or the insect tunnel that grosses you out more so Club Obi-Wan is probably when I was in college at some point, and I'm, I'm sure I didn't notice it, and I'm sure that somebody pointed it out to me. It's funny. So my feelings have evolved in multiple ways on these two scenes. Okay. The, the first thing is that, you know, that 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 food scene, if we're talking about what's offensive about the movie, that dinner scene is one of them. Yep. It, and it's really, really bad because and – it, it, and I, one thing I want to say is that – you know, it was recently the the French connection that got censored and they wanted to take the N-word out. And John, you and I both agreed that that was something that shouldn't be done, that the yeah. piece of art should be left as it is. One of the things about pieces of art from an older era is they led us into understanding the way the thought process worked in that era. And the thought process of basically white people, wherever they went, were civilized and everybody else they met was savage. Was It's just a very, very common cultural thread. And that dinner scene is a perfect example is that we the stuff that we eat and the way we eat makes perfect sense and the way other people eat is gross and disgusting mm-hmm. and how can they do that and so as a kid first of all it grossed me out more because the food mm-hmm. scene because it just oh my god i couldn't believe that as i've grown older i've eaten brains not monkey not chilled monkey brains but i've eaten brains i've eaten bugs i've eaten snakes like i've eaten a lot of these foods and i've even eaten an eyeball so <laughs> yes thank you good for you so, so on the one hand, even though the presentation is gross, I'm like, you yeah, know, food is, you know, food is food. A lot of cultures eat a lot of different stuff. The bug scene, hands down, not only is it the biggest gross out in the film, if you take the snakes and raiders, the rats in Last Crusade, you know, more weird stuff that happens in Crystal Skull, you know, none of them compare to the, the bugs in Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom is number one grossest, hardest thing in any of the Indiana Jones movies, period. <laughs> Rats, yeah. those rats give those bugs a run for their yeah. money. I mean, those rats, yeah. when they're hanging from Allison Duty's hair and like, ooh, no, nope, bugs worse. I'll take the arc spirits is the worst thing in the world. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts here the insect tunnel or uh, um, uh, the dinner scene? And when did you notice Club Obi Wan? Uh, so Club Obi Wan was when it came out on VHS. Like, I actually had to look up like, <laughs> what year did this come out on VHS, and it was 1992. So it would have been like my freshman or sophomore year in high school. And it, and again, it wasn't my eagle eyes. It was somebody saying, "Hey, it's called Club Obi Wan." I was like, "Oh yeah, wouldn't that be funny?" Uh, and they're like, "No, go go and pause it." But you know, as you remember, pausing a VHS, it's not like <laughs> pausing <laughs> streaming or a DVD. It's <laughs> and you can sort of could sort of see like, "Oh, I think that does say Club Obi Wan." Um, 
to the dinner scene. So this actually has to do with the thing that I told Vogel already. So in the original script, why this did not make it into the movie, so infuriating. But in the original script, Captain Blumbert says to Indy, rather bizarre menu, wouldn't you say? And Indy says back, even if they were trying to scare us away, a devout Hindu would never touch meat. Makes you wonder what these people are. Wow. And it's like, oh my gosh, why didn't you put that in the movie? That could have unlocked. <laughs> oh my God, that would have been fantastic. It wouldn't necessarily excused it, but it would have put more context on it for sure, Shannon. Yeah. That was that was my thought as well. Um, but in terms of eating bugs or seeing bugs, definitely seen. Um, because yeah. if you have ever woken up with any sort of creepy crawly, especially like if, you know, like if, if, if you if you don't sleep in PJs and you're woken up in the middle of the night with something crawling on you, uh, 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 now times that by however many hundreds of thousands of bugs they had. Because in my last apartment, I woke up one time with a little, uh, they're called sil like silverfish, little pincer bug. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, half asleep, half awake. I'm like, is that is that something on me? And I remember pulling my sheets down and there's this thing running up my chest. And I, I you know, I, I'm not a slow person, um, but, <laughs> but I've never moved that quickly in my life. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I will say, uh, what's the first? Oh, yeah, I never noticed it because obviously this is one of my favorites. So I, I never went back to watch it. It wasn't until we did the Schmodown that it came up in a question in the Schmodown that I was like, oh, shit. And went back and watched the scene. I was like, oh, that's cool. So I never noticed it. Uh, yeah, for me, it's the insects. Um, uh, that's absolutely the grossest. Even watching it this time around, I was like, Rrr! you know, because th this is the big battle in our house. She likes to catch and release. I like to destroy and kill. And so there's the bad, the fight always happens between us about spiders and creepy crawly stuff that shows up. That's why we kill the rats, but she won't let me kill the two stray cats that keep wandering into our backyard. So it's the balance that we make in our, in our lives for sure. Um, and I will say Steve, a little bit to the Indians, to the Indian portrayal and stuff. It, it's so fascinating to me because this is three years after Gandhi wins best picture, mm -hmm. which showed a very well-rounded portrayal of Indian culture that they could have borrowed from. And in fact, two of the actors in this film were big actors in 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 gandhi so to me it's just it's an unfortunate thing to see this and please i see some people always go like well the actors would stop them from doing it no it's not that kind of a situation people need to work especially people of color in 1980s needing to work and do these kinds of things so it's a different approach you just wish they'd had a little more a technical consultant or someone on the film to, I mean, to, to yeah. kind of, you know. We, that, role, that role didn't exist in 1984. <laughs> but I mean, kind of to that Fair point, enough. but kind of to that point, I mean, yeah. and I, because I, as I was just watching it, I was talking with someone about it, like, you, so everything everyone is saying about this scene is right. Like, it is, this is probably on the list of most offensive things about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, like this is definitely right oh, yeah. there at the top. Dinner scene, yes. Um, and Shannon's right that had that line in there, it may have mitigated it slightly, yeah, but bit. that's a line that also is just there to sort of justify the fact that you're gonna do exactly what Steve talked about it, which is, hey, we're white people, we eat good food. Isn't this food ridiculous? And having that one line in there kind of barely makes it acceptable. But what? But then the other part of it is taking all of that out of it, as you're having all of this plot exposition happening over here with Harrison Ford and everybody else, uh, cutting back to Willie Scott getting more and more and more grossed out to the point that she passes out and like short rounds reactions. Like it is genuinely as the way it's shot, the way it's set up a very, very funny sequence. So it's like, you know, your brain starts working. You're like, okay, obviously we would not do that today, right. but 
The comedy here is great comedy. The way it's cut, the way it's edited, Kate Capshaw's performance, it's amazing. So you kind of go like, where do you, like, what is the way that you tell that joke today? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of movies that do this now. Uh, a lot of the really great, like, sex romp comedies, gross out comedies, R-rated comedies, like, that are trying to do the similar humor to whether it be like Porky's or American Pie yeah, yeah. or all these other movies. And you're like, how do you twist these jokes around to tell it in a funnier way? Yeah. Um, and so like, it's an interesting thing again, to Steve's point, it's why I'm glad that we have these movies to look back on because we can look back and be like, oh yeah, that was not thought through. You guys did not have a cultural consultant. This is truly offensive, but the comedy works. So how do we still make this sequence work today yeah. in a different way? That's a good point. That's a good point. And on that, we should take a quick break and uh, we'll jump in, back into Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom right after this. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Nothing, Shannon. Wow, it's I not my. This sure. isn't our show. I was I wondering. Sure. I was wondering. I was like, going, I wonder if Shannon's going to do something. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Wow. I wasn't sure if I was allowed. I'm a guest. Wow. I'm a guest here. I don't want to be presumptuous. <laughs> we. All right. Did did, did did Vogel clear the slide whistle with it's, you all ahead of time? Yeah, little, 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 <laughs> Vogel doesn't ask permission. Vogel begs <laughs> forgiveness. <laughs> and not even that very often. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> Uh, well, let's hit some of these super chats before we move on, because I'm going to go to Steve first on, on uh, Steven Spielberg and the direction here. Owen Lanning says, as a child of Temple, as a child, Temple of Doom was my favorite. Into high school, it was Raiders. And now almost 30, now at almost 30, Last Crusade is my favorite. Yes, this is how. I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of my track, too. Right? I think that's a very, yeah. Yeah. Maybe all of us, when we get to 70, will really love Dial of Destiny. Who knows? Maybe. Um, JMB says, four out of five of my favorite people on the YouTubes. Yes. Did Mance get the red shirt treatment? LOL. Go team Cinnabuddies incidents. Thanks for this, guys. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, four was enough. Uh, I feel like yeah, it's but, a, uh, Scott will definitely have on a live show at some point, Steve, right? Down the road? Of, of course. Yeah. But but for those of you who, do, who haven't done what John does all the time, five people on a show, more than four, it gets real tough. It does. It gets real tough. It does. Uh, Bruce Crawford says, Indy's most heroic journey by saving child slaves. Gentlemen? Uh, would we say that's a redeeming factor for Indiana in the film? He does. I mean, yeah, to, as, you know, when you think of like in Raiders, he 
as has been argued over and over again, mm. doesn't do a lot. Tells Marion to close her eyes. Uh, Temple of Doom slaves the, saves the entire village, uh, all the kids from the village. Last Crusade saves dad. Yeah. Big. Crystal Skull, ugh, I said about it the better. Mm. Uh, and in Dial of Destiny, um, again, one of those structures where had he not done anything, yeah, I, though, yeah. though not a lot would have changed. Yeah. That's fair. Well, yeah. he may not have gotten back together with Marion. Exactly. That is yeah. true. That's that is true. Right, right. Um, all right. And then uh, let me hit one stream lab that's a two parter here from Hawks, Hawkeyes. Uh, Hawks C74. Uh, hi, guys. Love the cinephiles and the geek buddies. Uh, Temple of Doom was the first indie movie that I saw in the cinema at 10 years old. I still love it today and actually watched the original trilogy before seeing Dial of Destiny and still love them all. Um, I, I love the Geek Buddies and the Cinephiles. Uh, Temple of Doom. Oh, he just repeated it twice. Okay, never mind. There. Oh, I said, um, still love it today. Love the opening sequence in Club Obi Wan. So there we go. Um, yeah, uh, my Shannon. Did you want to say something? I that is one of the oh, best. My. I wasn't like I do think, and this is what I really respect about. I know you're about to talk to Steve about the directing, yes. but one of the things I love about some of Spielberg's choices in this movies is after Raiders having one of the biggest, most iconic opening sequences of all time. Uh, to top that sequence goes full musical number uh, out of the blue. Nobody expected it. And I think that's one of the things that's fun. It's just such a weird out of left field choice that uh, I think it's one of my favorite openings of any movie. I just think it's so random and crazy. It's utter nonsense. It is Spielberg showing off that he can do a yes. Busby Berkeley scene because that club is not that big. That club is not that big nope. to have like, 50 fucking dancers on multiple levels in the whole that, when I was watching it this time because I hadn't seen it in forever I was like is this in Willie's mind or is this actually happening I don't know so fascinating but still great direction by Spielberg to to do that sequence Mike good point to bring that up so Steve speaking of Spielberg's direction you're the director on the show Dylan please Steve what's your feelings on how Spielberg directed this movie and did he land the plane overall as a director so I first want to say that John saying, Steve, you're going to talk about directing, then asking Shannon if he has something to say, and then Vogel talking is a perfect example of Vogel not asking permission. That <laughs> you want a demonstration, that's how it works. So in answer to your question, um, I think I said it, I said it when we talked about Dial of Destiny, comparing it to Spielberg. I said it in our watch along of Crystal Skull for the first 10 minutes, which I actually think are really good. Yeah. I believe that Steven Spielberg is the greatest film storyteller, period, bar none. And his craftsmanship wow. that is on display in through most of this film is top notch. The, the, and the big thing, and this is what I think was slightly lacking in Dial Destiny, is the clarity. Everywhere he puts the camera, you always understand what's going on. You always understand the geography. It, the camera placement is always interesting. And yes, the Obi-Wan sequence is 100% a director flex. Yeah. There's no reason. It doesn't make sense. You're totally right. It is. I love these kinds of movies. I want to do one. I'm going to do a great one. And it is totally great. And on And the you know, all of the spinning with the ice and the diamond and yeah. the, the antidote and all that stuff. Again, it's super complicated and you totally understand everything's going that's going on. Later on, the parallels with short round and indie as they're each on sort of their separate adventures and all that stuff. It is so tight and it's so well constructed. Like all, and, and as we said, the racist dinner scene is a beautifully constructed piece of comedy. All of the stuff with 
him sure think who's going to knock on whose doors first and all that stuff that is classic screwball comedy stuff which he does perfectly so i don't think you know and this is sort of it goes to the pairing of the story and the script with the craftsmanship of the directing the craftsmanship of the directing is top notch Hmm. what it is paired with is frequently much less than top notch is is how i would put it but that guy knew news and knows knew and knows how to direct a movie yeah, that's excellent. Those are all excellent points, Steve, for sure. And and Mike, you talked about this film being a time capsule. Spielberg's direction, you can tell. This is yeah. of course, obviously, he's grown as a filmmaker from 1984. And even that uh, um, dancing sequence, you could argue that's a tease for what he's going to do in West Side Story 30, 30, 40 years later. Sure. So, yeah, what are your thoughts here on Spielberg's direction throughout this movie? Well, it really, I mean, I think I think part of it is because Indiana Jones is Spielberg and Lucas's creation, they had more autonomy to do whatever the fuck they wanted. Mm. So when Spielberg says, hey, it's an indie movie, I want to do this, sometimes you get a big musical opening sequence, sometimes you get killer ants, monkeys, and an alien. So, you know, like, it, it can go both ways. Mm. But uh, I think, you know, it, to compare it, and again, I was saying this earlier, I thought Mangold did a great job. Like, I truly, really did enjoy Dial of Destiny. Mm-hmm. But I think that compare... Um, compare the bug sequence with and well while short round and indie are in here and the Kate and the the, the the ceiling is collapsing and Kate cop shows out here with the bugs and all of this stuff and compare that with like the underwater eel sequence in dial of destiny mm. now the underwater eel sequence in dial of destiny is a great idea it's pure Indiana Jones everything about it conceptually is great but to Steve's point the way that it's shot it just doesn't have that extra sauce to it. It doesn't have that extra magic to it that Spielberg brings to every one of these sequences. And so you look through Temple of Doom and just every single moment is shot amazingly. And there's a clarity to everything and there's a level of detail to everything. And there's a sense of fun. Like Mm. even in the most intense moment, you have these really funny, it's a really funny line by Short Round. It's a funny expression from Harrison Ford. It's a freak out from Willie Scott. Like there's like these really great comedic moments in the midst of all of the dark shit that's going on in this movie that makes it feel very Indiana Jones. And again, I think Dial of Destiny, that's an area where it was kind of falling flat and made it feel less like classic stuff that Spielberg was doing here. Yeah, I love a lot of the action sequences that he lays out from that opening action sequence in Club Obi-Wan to what we see in the plane to what we get in the mineshaft. Does it all timing-wise work? Not always 100%, especially looking back now, but you can tell the artistry involved here. And the scenes he shoots, the dark stuff that he shoots uh, when they're, when uh, Molaram is taking that heart out of that dude and lowering down into the pit, the, the, the sound of it, the look, the way he's putting the camera to show the cult. Yeah, to show the cult worshiping. I don't know where I've seen that before, but you see all of that going on here. And it really is an unsettling thing to witness and watch uh, and the darkness of it all. And then you get to the rope bridge scene, which I think is one of my favorite scenes. Just having them all come down on opposite sides. And then Molo taking down uh, um, uh, uh, Willie and uh, and Short Round down there. Mm-hmm. And then him saying, prepare to meet Kali, and just starts chopping. The way that whole thing is shot, it just works so well uh, up until that ending. So even the way the stones are falling, everybody's falling off of this thing. It's like old school King Kong when King Kong is moving the log. It's great the way he does that kind of stuff. So Shannon, what are your thoughts on the direction here of Spielberg throughout this movie? 
So Travis Earl actually beat me to this in the chat, oh. but that musical idea was George Lucas. That was oh. not Steven Spielberg. He's like, he's like, this is what we need to do. He's I like, see. I don't know what song, I don't know what song she's gonna sing. He's like, but this is what this is what needs to happen. And he said, Steven, you're a frustrated musical director. Let's do it. Let's do a big uh, Busby Berkeley <laughs> dance scene. And so that's where you see George Lucas is a great producer. He's a great idea person, but you don't necessarily want him behind the camera calling the shots. Um, no, I think Spielberg just had so much fun. And, and a lot of it, he had to shoot kind of on the fly. I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to it, but when Harrison Ford injured his back and yeah, was out yes. for yeah. six, six weeks, yeah. I think. Like the whole third act fight in the mine, all those wide shots are Vic Armstrong. Those are not Harrison Ford. Wow. And a lot of the stuff he said, how much he didn't storyboard. And I think a lot of the comedy that we did get was a result of the darkness of the script. Cause he had said, he's like, I, that he was never fully on board with it, but he trusted his, he trusted George. He trusted the hikes. He's like, okay, let's, let's do it. Um, but that moment when the giant thuggy guard, who again is played by Indiana Jones regular Pat Roach, yeah. when he takes that uh, sledgehammer away from Indy and throws it back and it hits one of the slaves in the head and the guy uh, is passed out, that was something that Spielberg thought of on the fly because he's just like, we have to, we have to counterbalance this some way. So, you know, I, I wonder what would have happened if Spielberg had been fully in for this kind of, you know, darker story, um, how much of a joyless affair it could have been. Well, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to a couple of these um, uh, questions from our patrons, uh, Steve. It's just, this one's from uh, Paul. Paul asks, other than the character of Willie Scott, what else do you dislike about Temple of Doom? What else made the movie bad in your opinion? I mean, I feel like we've, hit on the things overall that for me don't work uh, uh gentlemen do you have any things that uh, neither one of us have mentioned that you think doesn't work back uh, in the film now as you look back on it a anybody well, can chime in on this one. yeah mike i mean i think so what we, what it boils down to really i mean and, and tell me if i'm missing anything is like portrayal yeah. of indians and in indian culture yes uh white savior yes short round i don't i i don't know if i you know watching it this time around I'm not sure that I dislike the character of Shortrun because I think Shannon put it well when I was kind of spinning around in my mind, this idea that the lines themselves are good lines. He has agency in the movie. Yeah. He cares for his friend. He drives the car. He wants to fight anybody who goes after Indy. And he wants Willie to respect Indy because as a child, he's not emotionally developed. He's jealous that someone might come between him and Indy. He keeps saying, you're my best friend. And so there's a lot here. Now, I don't know if there's Kihi Kwan's accent that he was putting on or not putting on, because certainly we hear him nowadays and there is a little bit of an accent there. So I don't know about that. So only he could speak to that. But to me, looking at it, I think the character is has his own agency. But as Shannon said, I wouldn't begrudge anyone having an issue with that, well, for sure. I think when it comes to short round, just really quick, because we're on the topic, yeah. like I think that short, it's, it's actually a really interesting issue and it's a place where like, this is where that gray area shows up because I think that you're right. I, I love short round. Mm. I've always loved short round. If Kihi Kwong came back to be in an Indiana Jones movie today, I'd be all on board in it. And like, yeah. he's adult short round, I'm in. I love short round. I don't think there's anything about the character that is inherently racist. I don't think that there's anything about the character that is specifically making fun of Chinese culture. Like I think, and I, I, everybody who knows Geek Buddies knows I love Goonies, but Kihi Kwan's portrayal of Data is more problematic than his portrayal of Short Round, for sure. Interesting, okay. Um, sure. But 
within all that, I think you can't escape your and I'm and look, what I'm about to say, I do not think that Steven Spielberg is a racist person. Right. But I think Steven Spielberg, white director in 1984, doing a casting call for this role, uh, meets Kihi Kwan, who is an amazing young actor yeah, yeah, yeah. and very natural on screen, who also has a very thick accent that is going to play to people in to white people in 1984 is humorous. Mm. So I think people who have a problem set with in the round, 1930s for a movie set in the 1930s. For a movie set in the 1930s. So there is a humor to the way that Kihi Kwan talks to people in 1984 that is not intentional by the actor, is not inherent in the script or the character, but still creates kind of to what Steve's point was about the whole idea of like what white people thought of like foreign foods. He was this foreign character who spoke really funny. So when you're a kid, you're like, oh, that's funny. So again, it's a gray area of short round is not data in, in uh, Goonies, nor is he like long duck dong in 16 Candles. Oof, yeah, that's but, which is, which is even worse. That is problematic. Um, so I think there's an ability, like short round is a character that can be beloved and you can be like this as a character still works, but there are still elements that fall into that slightly problematic zone. Okay. Uh, Steve, your thoughts other than character Willie Scott, what else do you dislike about Temple of Doom? What else made the movie bad in your opinion? So very quickly on Willie Scott, yeah. cause I have a lot of, lot to say on short round okay. is she's a totally problematic character. I can see the logic that got them there, which is they went, we had the badass female heroine in Marion. Let's right. go the opposite way. And do the cliche damsel in distress, and it is a cliche, and she she bugs me throughout the entire movie, even though Kate Capshaw is doing a good job. She okay, is, short, right? She did a she good knows, job with that character. She yeah. does great at playing that character. They very successfully brought that character to the screen. So, short round. I love short round. I think there is a thing that we basically did throughout history, which is laughing at people with accents. And laughing at people with accents is the stupidest thing to laugh at in the world. It's like, look, I only speak one language. And this other person who might speak seven languages isn't doing a great job of speaking mine. Isn't he a moron? That is really stupid. And it's and, and I would like that that basic joke to be banished to, the, to history and us not do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's no question that they're playing on that joke with short round. That's part of the movie. And I don't like that. Okay. But that being said, not only... Do I think that Short Round is a hero and probably the biggest hero throughout the entire film? Like Short Round is saves the day. I think he is the biggest hero in any Indiana Jones movie other than Indiana Jones. I don't wow. think there is anybody that contributes more to saving the yeah. day than Short Round does. Mm-hmm. And I will say something else too. And I'm just putting yeah. this out there. I, have, I haven't thought it through. It is possible that in my mind, Short Round is the greatest Asian action star in any Hollywood film since Bruce Lee up till that point from Bruce Lee till short round. Is there any other Asian action star in Hollywood films? Short round kicks ass. Yeah. I mean, he is so, so I, so like putting like, are there things problematic about, you know, humor around his accent? Yes. Are there things yeah. problematic in terms of he's a little Asian kid and has he made too cutesy or stuff like that? Sure. Maybe short round is a hero. Top to bottom, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Shannon, your thoughts? Uh, anything that offends you uh, or you don't like about the movie other than Willie Scott? No, because I don't dislike Willie Scott. Okay. <laughs> I think Kate Capshaw is Justice so for funny. Willie. 
Go ahead. Man. And and I and I have to say, like, yeah, that I, I understand the point of view that we went with a badass with Marion Ravenwood. Let's go in a different direction. There are all types of people that India are all types of women that Indiana Jones has had a history with. And so the fact that this one happens to be a traditional damsel in distress does not bother me at all. Kate Capshaw is so freaking funny in this movie. And even my wife was just like, I cannot take how much she screams. And I'm like, okay, then it, it doesn't work for you. It doesn't bother me um, to the short round. Cause I know I've already kind of said my piece on short round. I, I, I got to think that if Kiwi Kwan did not have that accent, he still would have got that part. And yeah, that this probably. argument would be yeah. moot it, because he, you know, if he w was born in the U S and didn't speak with an um, accent. Really quickly on the, on the Willie Scott of it all. something that is another thing to consider is mm. one of the issues with having a character like Willie Scott in this movie is she's like the only woman. Yes. Right. Like yes. there's no other women in the movie. So well, when you have they're the Indian women, but they don't have the no Indian. Women, yeah. Women. But like, but they have no age. Like, yeah. like, yeah, they're not actual characters right, right. in the movie that have agency or are wrapped up in the story. So when you have basically one female character and she, and she falls into all these stereotypes, it's a problem. Yeah. One of the things that, you can do, I mean, I do this in Strawberry Shortcake today, is you can absolutely have that Willie Scott character and play it for all the comedy in the world that you can, as long as you have other portrayals of females to show that not all females are a monolith. So like there is a lot of really good humor to what, what Kate Capshaw is doing as Willie Scott and that type of role to Shannon's point, she is successful in playing that role. And if there had been a bunch of other female characters who were evil and heroic and badass and this to say oh look there are lots of different types of females a role like willie scott's actually uh can work to some degree with some nuance with some adjustments to it uh in a movie even today yeah i like uh Kay capshaw's performance as as willie scott she's doing the best she can in a situation like that and that must have been very nerve-wracking i mean the whole film begins with her coming right into frame singing anything goes which maybe is a bit of foreshadowing of what the film is going to be anything goes and I, I that is such an interesting start for her and then when she goes my issue is how they get her into this whole situation why does she come to talk to uh um a or Len Ch sorry what's his name again Chalen? is it Chalen? i've only seen it once when she comes to talk to Lao Che, i was like why is she there and what is she sitting there what is the what is the point of her showing up there it seemed it seemed uh, forced rather than organic. And so it just so the way she fell into all of this just seemed really odd. And a, a woman working in that kind of job in that situation with a Chinese mobster, in essence, who owns the club, I think would have much more of a harder edge, which is why I enjoy her performance in Black Rain, that character, much more, which is very similar because she's in Japan playing a guy, Jean, but she's much more aware of the culture in that situation. Of course, two different films. One's a fun adventure comedy. One's a harder edge uh, a mobster story. But um, but I, I, I think Kate Capshaw kind of saw, maybe saw what she did in the criticism and adjusted some things. But her performance, I got no complaints about. As an actress, she's killing it. The portrayal of it is a bit, um, one dimensional at times or two dimensional, I guess at times uh, let's keep going to another question here. Oh, we did. I want to follow up with Adam. Adam has a question here. What do you think short round is up to when dial of destiny is happening? Do you think Indy still keeps in touch with him after 34 years? Shannon, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, Indy, well, yeah. Is he still talking to short round? 
there oh, have man. been, you know, Indiana Jones books and comics afterwards. Oh, and, sure. you know, they're like, if you go onto the Indiana Jones wiki, like they like apparently he, you know, uh, Indy did bring him to the States and he was adopted. I want to say he went. This is weird. but He went he went to the University of Chicago because that's where Indy went. Um, but other than that, I mean, uh, that's where I think in Dial of Destiny, despite loving Antonio Banderas, I, I do think that was the opportunity to bring short round back that he okay. found himself, you know, uh, as a frog man you know fighting in europe i thought that would have been fun it would have been hard to believe short round in the movie because it would have been hard to believe that short round would let indy get that down that depressed that sad that despondent as he is in the movie so i wonder if maybe that was the thinking of not including him in the script i don't know gentlemen what do you think uh short round is 34 years later uh steve or mike um so i think the reason they didn't include him in the script was that he wasn't an academy award-winning actor you know I think <laughs> maybe, if the yeah. timing had if you sure. know if Everything er somebody, everywhere all yeah. at once. Somebody in the chat come out a year earlier. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't think the Antonio Banderas thing would have been right for him because why would this Chinese guy be suddenly a frog diver in the Mediterranean? Doesn't like make a lot of sense. I would have lived the life, Steve. He lived the life. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> but I would. I not only would I have. I mean, I've already said how much yeah. I love short rounds, so I would have loved to have seen him. And while Mister Leboeuf was not a, a worthy uh, successor to Indiana Jones, I totally watched the Adventures of Grown Up Short Round. Yeah, I I've said this before. Like, I mean, we talked about this a lot. Like, I don't think that Indiana Jones as a franchise has the staying power that other franchises from yeah. the '80s still have, but. The only way forward that I see is, and I, and actually I think Steve makes the right point. I didn't think of it quite this way, but I think Steve mm. is right. Like short rounds a badass. Yeah. And I think that I would go even further to say that in all five Indiana Jones movies now, um, the only person who rivals the chemistry that short round and Indy have is Indy and his dad. Like, mm. I think those are the yeah, two best that. relationships in the sure. five movies. So to, to me, the only thing that would get me excited would be Kiwi Kwan coming back to reprise short round and going on a big adventure. Like to me, that's the only thing it. that I, other than that, I think Indy has had his last journey. Indiana Jones as a franchise is something that we're all, it, it belongs in a museum, mm. but short round is the way forward. If they were ever going to do it for me, I'd be real curious to see if people would show up for it, but I know that some would, I just don't know if everybody would. So if they do go this route, I'd be very curious to see if it works out. Um, let's take a quick break. We're at another half an hour here, and then we'll jump into a little bit more of your questions and thoughts and comments. And we're trying to be done here in the next 25 minutes. So uh, uh, hang on for us right after this. Shannon, this is not your show. I don't know why you did that. This is. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> all right, let me hit some of these questions because uh, I want to get through them all. Um, uh, Ryan Leaf says, I hope it's not too late. A great patron of the uh, Cinephiles here, Ryan Leaf. hope it's not too late to get my question. And I've always heard the PG-13 rating, which was first applied to Red Dawn, came about because of parents' outrage over the violence in Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom and Gremlins. When you first saw the Temple of Doom, how did you feel about its graphic content? Were you shocked? Were who, You were seeing those things in a PG movie, and did your parents have a strong reaction to it? Uh, Steve, I think we should go to the two younger members of this panel. Uh, Michael and Shannon, you, you both were kids when you saw this movie. We were teenagers, Steve and I. So what were your thoughts seeing the violence in this movie and the heart being taken out by Mola Ray? uh temple of doom i don't like indiana jones was like to me a grown-up movie 
Mm. So like the fact that there was grown up things happening didn't uh, affect. Like I was like, yeah, this is some, this is some, this is some shit. Little eight year old me, that's some shit. Um, but like the, for me, it was Gremlins was the bigger one. Not that it was disturbing, but there was this movie that came out that had its own cereal. And there was toys on the toy shelf <laughs> and it, there was lunch boxes and it was marketed as this cute kids movie. And then I went to see it and was truly scared for my life. Like at the end of that movie, when, uh, when Stripe gets like is in the water and the stuff is bubbling off and the light comes in and he turns into a slimy skeleton, like gremlins really freaked me out. So I, I think it's interesting. I mean, like the fact that there was these movies that like, they're like, this is too dark. They're going to have to be R and there. And Spielberg was like, ah, what if we let's do something different? And that it they got a whole new rating out of it. Like it's, it's wild to me. Sin? Yeah. The violence, <laughs> the violence in Temple of Doom didn't bother me. The thing that I remember from watching that movie in the theaters when I was like six was the moment that Mola Ram did rip the guy's heart out. My cousin, who's a few years older than I am, she uh, threw the popcorn in the air. <laughs> so that was the thing that I was like, okay, clearly that bothered Cindy. <laughs> it didn't bother me so much. I will say to Vogel's point, Gremlins was way more frightening. And the scene before oh, yeah. we get before we get to strike melting, it was when Billy's mom, when that gremlin is hiding oh. in the Christmas tree, oh. that you take this, you take this this icon of joy for a young kid like me, and you see red eyes. And not only does she, does she get attacked by a Christmas tree, uh, when the gremlin has his claws and he's tearing at her face, like you hear the sound of the the skin being ripped off. Gremlins, way more scary. But mom gets hers. Mom gets hers three minutes later. <laughs> Blender, microwave, get out of my kitchen. She's not fucking around with those gremlins. Uh, Steve, uh, what so, was your reaction when you saw it? First of all, 100% agree. Gremlins, way more scary. Oh, yeah. Second, what I'll say, I told, I, 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 it scared me, but I liked it. But I was in high school and saw it mm. in the theater. But here's what I will say. I showed it to my kid, who's uh, now 12. Mm. And... I really, really don't want to give him one of those experiences that Shannon and I know. You've had these experiences, other people taken to a movie at too young an age and freaked out. I didn't want to do that. So I, he had seen Raiders and Last Crusade. So I said, look, this is like that, but there are a couple of moments, one with a lot of bugs and one that's, you know, this thing. And I warned them when he, they were coming. I said, this is kind of what, about what's going to happen. We paused the movie. He watched the bug one, totally loved it. He stepped out of the room for the heart getting ripped out and then came back in and he fucking loved the movie. So that's sort of my take on the whole thing. All right, fair enough. Let's hit a couple of these stream labs. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been sending in stream labs. We appreciate it madly and your super chats uh, as well. Uh, Wayne Edwards says, when I was a kid, I bought the Temple of Doom soundtrack on tape. I listened to it 30 times. I never saw the movie in the theater. So besides a few pictures of the music, I had a different film in my head. I was disappointed when mm. I finally saw the movie itself. And um, I want to connect. Did someone else bring up? Okay. Uh, yeah. Someone else brought that up about uh, John Williams and the score here. Uh, Shannon, Mike, you guys are the score whores. So please, uh, your thoughts on John Williams' score for Temple of Doom. I thought it was excellent. Excellent. Mm. Every character has the short run has his theme. Willie has her theme. Uh, everyone has their theme. And the, the way that John Williams was able to even bring back uh, the moment as Indy's running from the two thuggy guards yeah. as they take their swords out and he reaches down for his gun. You hear a little bit of the chase from Raiders. Um, John yes. Williams is the best. OK, yeah. John Williams is John Williams is the best film composer. Period. 
Um, and so like literally any score, like, like this is, and th again, this is just when everybody was at their peak. You think about like, you know, George Lucas, 77 star Wars, uh, you know, 78 was jaws, right? Like 70 yeah. was jaws with Spielberg and no, they got a no, 74. 75, 75, 75, 75, 75, 77. And like, you know, this is not that long, much long, but they, it was long enough for them, for everybody and Williams and everybody to have some more stuff under their belt. And like, this is just, you get this sense that this is everybody. Like Steve said it earlier, this movie feels like a flex for everyone involved. Mm. Everyone's like, guys, we made an awesome Indiana Jones movie. Here's our next one. We're awesome. And like, there's just this, I think the swagger that Indy has in the movie kind of goes through the directing and the score and everything. Yeah. All right. Steve, your thoughts on John Williams' score? No, nothing to add. He's the goat. That's it. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Crow84 says, opening scene is purely an homage to 30 cinema as it takes place in the 30s, just like Raiders was an homage to the Pulp serials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we covered that and discussed yeah. that. So thank you, Crow, for chiming in on that one for sure. Hoxie74 uh, says, in the opening scene when Willie Scott says, I always thought archaeologists were funny little men looking for their mommies, and Indy kind of rolls his eyes and says, mommies. I only realized last week that he's actually correcting her not repeating her yeah yeah she got the joke she got the joke wrong <laughs> she she was like she was like i'm gonna be really clever and tell a joke and she whiffed it yeah fair as um, that character would <laughs> right right doug developer who uh is one of um, my patrons as well in the outlaw nation uh he is asian and he said as an asian kid growing up when i first heard short round speak what immediately came to my mind was yeah, I'm going to be made fun of for this. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, uh, I think That's we have to create point. space for understanding that as well. Totally. In, in that thread, right? Yeah. So, yep. sorry, Doug, if we were insensitive in having that conversation, but thank you for chiming in uh, uh, with your personal experience. Uh, Wayne Edwards says, one more thing to add to my earlier message. I was 14 years old when the Temple of Doom came out. I finally saw it at 20 years old. It wasn't what I expected. That being said, I will give it another watch now as an adult. Thanks for the show. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus, Wayne, all the, um, the Indiana Jones movies. So see what you think about it. I also saw it at 14, did not like it, saw it at my age now, which is 35. And I also didn't like it either. So just throwing it out <laughs> for you all. <laughs> you know what? I, if Indy can like... go back in time, so can I. So shut up. Right. Elliot Copley says, Stephen John, you're the best. Been a listener since episode one. I've been lucky enough to work in film for the last eight years now. I never studied film, but you guys have been my tutor. So thank you. Oh. You're welcome. Ooh. That's great. Um, uh, Don Ronaldo McWhiskey says, I just want to send support because I just love hearing you all talk about old movies. Oh, thanks, Don. Old? Thanks, Don. <laughs> old? It is I mean, just about 40 years old. Yeah, so. next year. Okay. Okay. <laughs> JP says, with Dial of Destiny done along with Ford, supposedly, where do you guys see the franchise going? Continuing with the recast, a spinoff, hiatus for a while. Here, here's the thing, and and again, I think we I think we talked about like like there's there's a certain type of franchise that works. I mean, like Star Wars as a franchise, whether you like the new trilogy or not, the new the 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 new trilogy gave us all the classic characters that the old people grew up with, 
and then also gave new uh, like kids Ray, Finn, Poe, BB-8, Kylo mm. Ren. So when you go to Galaxy's Edge, you see a bunch of little girls running around dressed up as Ray. Marvel or DC work because these are comic book characters that have lived forever. So we all grew up loving them when we were younger, reading comic books or watching Justice League animated series and everything. But they can still like kids today love Spider-Man the same way we love Spider-Man. Indiana Jones doesn't have that sort of handoff. Mm. Indiana Jones was a hero to us in the 80s, and now he's an old guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's not really... I think with Shia LaBeouf, with Crystal Skull, there was probably an idea that we were going to do that, and it was when Shia LaBeouf was like on the rise. Uh, that didn't go great. Um, and I don't think this movie... I don't think Dial of Destiny had any intention of trying to do that. So like I said, I think that... And even Kihi Kwong uh, is not the the hero for a young generation. Like he mm. would be another older hero, and you would still have to figure out what to do. And I don't know that Indiana Jones is a franchise that can have that handoff. So this yeah. to me, to me, it's one that you're like, maybe this is just what this is. Yeah, because I mean, Rocky handed that off to Creed, and it's worse. Yes. But there hasn't worked. been that with Indiana Jones. Steve, what are your thoughts? What do you think's uh, the next step for this franchise? I think it's a really weird one. I, I agree with Michael, and I and I kind of go. I don't like politics to be dictating artistic choices in this way. I'm about to say, but the fact is that the adventuring archaeologists going off to the primitive people and yep. grabbing their stuff is kind of weird. It's mm -hmm. weird in its entire worldview, and so so that kind of a character, I don't quite see where how you make them fit in the right way. I guess that's my feeling. Okay. Shannon, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's probably best done. I would say the only hope for it to continue would be Kiwi Kwan, but I, I, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, I would love to have seen, I've said it many times before, I'd love to see some sort of animated version uh, of of uh, of Indiana Jones's adventures, um, something oh, yeah. short. Um, but my guess is, again, based off of the... Um, box office response to dial of destiny i doubt the uh the decision makers see the value in it yeah there was an abner ravenwood series uh that was in motion but they canceled that now and not going <laughs> forward with that but that probably would have been the way to kind of keep keep the spirit alive kind of like they tried to do with fantastic beasts and harry potter but in the end it's not going to happen for now yeah i think it's dead and i think they'll take a look at it like three decades from now maybe reprising it once us old people have died off and they can start all over again, I think that's one. There is something at. interesting, yeah. though, really quickly, just about what Steve said, which is, and again, this is where I think like you can take story and mold it and come up with something new and interesting, which mm. is, yeah, the the white archaeologist running around and finding a bunch of artifacts from other cultures and putting them in museums is literally the opposite of what any of us think needs to happen today. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So take somebody with all of the skills that someone like Indiana Jones has mm. and put him in a situation where that's not what you do. Well, what do you do? Mm. Like what, what mysteries do you solve? What people are you helping? Like I think, and in a lot of ways, what happens in Temple of Doom, him coming into us, like not doing it in the way they did it because it doesn't work, but coming into a situation where you have a level of expertise or you have a piece of knowledge or you know something and yeah. can help that culture do a thing or put something back in its rightful place. Like, is, does Indiana Jones become the guy that like takes everything from the British Museum and puts it That's back? Like, literally, I don't know. I was yeah. just going to say that. Breaking into the British Museum to recover a thing that he originally stole and bringing it back to the people while fighting the British who are yeah. trying to stop him. 
Okay, I'm good but on that's, that one. And that's where yeah. and that's where you take you take an inherent challenge in a story or like something that's just inherently flawed in something because it's dated or doesn't work anymore. And right. if you shine a light on it and really focus on it for a few minutes, sometimes really interesting story possibilities come out of it. Yeah, because certainly the opening of Black Panther with Killmonger in that exactly. museum yeah. is a shot it's at great, Indiana It's a great Jones. scene, yeah. yeah. Sean Brennan says, uh, do you guys think someone could delude themselves into thinking this movie is good and why is that person Shannon? Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm wow, sorry. Sean. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you think four dollars and ninety nine cents buys you that kind of? Uh, <laughs> I, I have to move? read it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I I hope the five bucks was worth it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm with Shannon, but I still appreciate the comment. That was a good. <laughs> Deep Devolve fifty nine says rewatch uh, Temple of Doom for the first time in a long time, and that movie drags until the third act. And the culture and sensitivity is pretty bad, but it may be missed short round in this fifth movie. I see no reason why he wasn't included. Well, I think Steve nailed it. And I think you know, a number of people have said it as well, that he wasn't kind of out there right at yeah. that point to be able to bring him back. But certainly if they made the movie now, he would probably be coming back for sure. Um, uh, I, I want, Steve, I've asked all the questions. Do you have anything you want to ask uh, for us? We've got like 10, 11 minutes left of the show. Sorry. It's just kind of going on so quickly. Um, I guess, I guess my big question is, I, you know what I would like to know? What is the, what is your favorite sequence? What is the golden sequence in Temple of Doom? Ooh, because there are a bunch of good ones. For me, it's the rope bridge. Uh, that to me is just it's great. That's a fun sequence. So that's that's an easy answer for me. It, it's a tie for me. Um, the entire sequence of Indy and Willie going back and forth from their bedrooms and him having the apple <laughs> and then their flirtation. And he, she's like, you're coming back. And, he's like, and then them waiting in the other rooms and that leading into the guy trying to kill Indy while Willie Scott is yelling at the door. And then he comes in and she thinks he's ready to like get with her. And then he's like, like the entire sequence is just screwball comedy at its finest. And then even though we've talked about it a ton, the opening, like from the moment that Willie Scott walks out on stage, all the way through them jumping out the window and meeting short round for the first time in the getaway car. Like it is just a, like a banger banger. It, it, to me, and I'm, I, this, I know you all won't agree to me in its own way. It's as thrilling and fun as the opening to Raiders. And the fact that they did something Ooh. so extremely different than Raiders, they didn't try and copy it and go, oh, well, let's have a bigger ball. Like the fact that they did something so different but so thrilling to me is such uh, an amazing uh, achievement. Okay. Yeah. Um, so short rounds escape when he's in the mine and he gets the mm. chain off up until he uh, sticks the torch in Indy's side. Uh, again, I think that just sort of encapsulates why short round is the real hero of the movie. I mean, you, you know, you look at, uh, you know, if, uh, if uh, Indy's not in Raiders, most of the stuff still happens without the inclusion of short round. Uh, Willie Scott and Indiana Jones do not make it out <laughs> of that temple. Um, but also, and this just kind of goes for the first three movies as well is just, Indiana Jones exposition. I think the way Harrison Ford lays stuff out is so, you know, exposition can be the, can be, you know, just the ax, absolute killer of momentum in a script. And the way that Harrison Ford explains things as Indiana Jones, whether it's with uh, Willie, with the old piece of par parchment talking about the Shankar stones, or when he's kind of poking at uh, Chatter Lao at the dinner. Like, I just love listening to Harrison Ford of this age, talk about historical shit fair point fair point 
Uh, one stream that came through here, or two of them that came through real quick. Doug Developer says, I wrote in the chat, but had Kihi Kwan won the Oscar earlier, I could see a film in which Indy reunites for one more adventure with Short Round, who has a kid of his own. Through Short Round, Indy learns to be a better father and become a surrogate grandfather. I mean, that would be amazing. Sure. Uh, yeah. But I also, and I also agree with Steve, though, had, had everything everywhere all at once just come out yeah. earlier, you would have absolutely, I don't think you would have had Short Round take the Antonio Banderas role, but you would have had a scene earlier on yeah. with an adult Kihi Kwan saying, you know, Indy, there's still so much left for you. And he's like, I don't think there is. And then at the end, he would have showed up in the final scene. Like, I, like he yeah. would have just been there in his life and made you feel good in the same way that Marion returning made you feel good. I don't know if we have Phoebe Waller-Bridge if Ki Kwan is, I mean, because he could take that slot easily and, and it'd be an adventure with both of them. And certainly if you have the overriding storyline that he has to come to terms with the death of his son, having Short Round then with his own son, kind of that could wake him back up again because essentially Short Round was a surrogate son from back in mm -hmm. 1935. That's really That fun. eliminates the connection to the beginning with Helena's dad. Oh, that's good points. Good points. That's, um, yeah, that's, I think I think that yeah. once you start going that far, you start to unravel the movie, and that and which doesn't isn't bad. Yeah. It becomes right. a different movie. I'm saying if you were telling this movie yeah, yeah. that you had with Helena and everything in the opening, you could have still early on inserted a you know uh, 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 short round is a professor at the same college that that he is and he's there and he has a quick and he has a quick chat with him and when the bad guys come in he escapes or saves the woman and indy goes on the adventure and then he's there at the end like there there's ways that you could have just slotted him within the structure that you have mm -hmm. um that would have been pretty easy or to your point there's also ways that they could have been like fuck he just won an oscar let's make this a let's make this a short round indie right. movie a two-hander yeah 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 i'll, uh, I'll, I'll say yeah, one thing uh, just just you know one of the great things in Raiders is that we see this adventurous guy and then we see him as the professor. And mm -hmm. I just suddenly went, man, Kiki Kwong as the professor, he could do a fantastic, somewhat nerdy professor that when he busts out into an adventure, it would be almost as satisfying as Indiana Jones doing it. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, Desker, Josh Lee says, I'll put Bernard Herman up there with John Williams. I think that's fair. Absolutely. For Absolutely should put him up there. I still say John's the goat. Fair no much. disrespect, Mr. Herman. <laughs> there is a bigger question we got from Tanner McGuire, but I think, Steve, maybe we'll save that for a short between you and I and Ooh. have a more of a deeper conversation on it. But I will read his question. It says, I know John really doesn't like the film because of the racial insensitivity, which I'm not defending, to be clear. I know there are several films to come out during this era that have problematic aspects, racism, homophobia, sexual assault. But sometimes you guys are able to confront that and still appreciate the film as a whole. I just want to know why the issue in this film in particular is uh, are egregious enough for John to dislike it as a whole. Furthermore, where should the line be drawn when weighing the quality of the film against its problematic aspects? To be clear, I'm absolutely not saying that John is wrong in feeling this way. So I think that'd be a fun short for us to talk about. So Tanner, we'll push that because I'm right now we have like five minutes left of the show. There's no way we could do that question justice. But I think is... it's a fan. Can I just say, I think yeah. it's a fantastic short and that's just jump in at patreon.com slash the cinephiles. That's the $5 level and you'll get to hear that short. Yeah, absolutely. Good good plug there, Steve. Uh, Justin Toner did ask, uh, as one of our patrons, he says, if you could change one thing to improve Temple of Doom, what would it be? And then we'll get to final thoughts on the movie here. Real quick, what, if you could improve one thing about Temple Research. of Doom. Research. Actually, like, <laughs> instead of making these evil, culturally totally insensitive world, why not actually try to look into some reality? Mm. That'd be mine. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm just going to steal Steve's answer as well, because the thuggy cult was real, um, but it wasn't this. Yeah. yeah. 
and so it was actually like a group of i think they've like bandits um but uh yeah yeah i i would i would i'm gonna steal steve's answer and say research mike also that's where we got the term thug from just so everyone knows oh from thuggy yeah that's wow interesting from. okay yeah that makes um sense. as much as i love everything like once you get into the the cult chamber it gets a little claustrophobic and then you get the whole mind race out. I would have loved uh, some more set pieces in different locations. I, I actually think the research is the better answer, but I wasn't going to steal Steve's twice. So <laughs> I, uh, I think, I think like, I, I think the set pieces in the movie are amazing. I just think maybe like there was like one more big set piece in a different location that would have made, I know a lot of people even in the chat have been like, it kind of drags in the middle a little bit. Oh, oh. And I think it's because you have all of this fun, exciting stuff happening. And then you get there and you're just there oh. until you get in the minds and escape. That's a good thing to change. I like Bruce's answer, and I'm going to steal it. I wish Brody and Marion were in it. I think, yeah, I would have liked to have seen the characters from Raiders in this uh, as well uh, as part of the prequel thing. I think that would have added a little more magic to the film for sure, and I would have cut Dan Aykroyd in a heartbeat from that movie. Um, let's see. I think that's everything. Steve, do you have one question? Any other question we haven't asked, asked that you'd like to ask before we wrap up? I have no further questions of the witness, Your Honor. <laughs> Your Honor. Or then I want to say one. I want to ask one other question, and then we'll wrap up. Where do you rank Molo Ram? Do you like this performance, and where do you rank him in the pantheon of indie villains? Um, so I think, I, I think Amrish Puri does a fantastic job in a thankless role. So that's something. I yeah, I th I mean it's I mean it's like we were saying that Kate Capshaw is amazing at playing yeah. this cliche you know damsel in distress character i think he's fantastic in playing this villain but i think the best indie villains are villains that parallel indie and that's mm -hmm. you know that bellic um, what's her name ilsa in last crusade and in dial destiny like people that are sort of have similarities with him are the best ones so i wouldn't rank him as one of the best villains but he does a great job that's my feeling I, that being said though uh i iconically he is so tied with Indiana, like like the the Kalima, like the, everything about the role is just so like everybody who knows Indiana Jones knows these moments from this movie uh, where he is central to it. So I think as a villain, I think Steve is right actually about uh, the better villains are the ones that are like tied more closely to Indy and what his life and what his wants and desires and issues are. But just iconic, man. He's up there still as just like you just remember everything about him because it was so in your face. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's where I rank Temple of Doom. He's number three. Um, you know, he he's not he's not on Belloc's level. He's not on uh, Voler's level. But I, I think he is better than uh, than Kate Blanchett and uh, Walter Donovan. <laughs> Fair enough. Oof, that was rough uh, watching again. Um, and one last thing, uh, Hoxie donated. He said, Shannon, thanks for the recommendation to watch History's Greatest Mysteries, essential viewing for all indie fans. Yes, yes. Their Antikythera episode is fantastic. Oh, good stuff. Um, all right, well, thank you so much to everybody who joined us for the lively chat, for the streamlines, for the super chats, and to all of our patrons here on the Cinephiles. And especially a big thank you to our two guests, from the Geek Buddies, Michael Vogel and Shannon McClung. Um, yeah, I think we should wrap it up. I was going to give you guys one last uh, comment on the uh, Indiana on Temple of Doom, but I know Mikey's got to go. So uh, I think we've talked it all and we've we've spoken about it. Uh, but maybe one word, one final word about this film. One word. Fun. Art. Mike? Art. Fortune and glory. Fortune and glory. One. One. <laughs> one. Hard. See, it's better not to, to 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 ask forgiveness than permission. Again, Michael Vogel. 
mine is disappointing, unfortunately. All right, well, there you <laughs> go. Thanks, everybody, for watching this episode of Cinephiles. We appreciate and love you all madly. Steve, what should we tell them before we wrap up here? Patreon.com slash the cinephiles to hear that upcoming short watch alongs advisory board. You can follow the show, subscribe to the show, review the show, and of course, buy or stream Temple of Doom along with every other movie we've ever done on cinephiles.net. That's right. And uh, you can follow Michael Vogel at MK Tune. You can follow Shannon McClung at Shannon the Geek Buddy uh, or Shannon underscore McClung, right? Is that right uh, on Twitter? There you go. And of course, we do the Geek Buddies. The three of us uh, do the Geek Buddies. Uh, every week on the Outlaw Nation channel, which is on YouTube, or you can listen to us on our own separate podcast feed, the Geek Buddies podcast feed. But of course, this is the Cinephiles. Subscribe down below, hit that bell button, leave a comment. What are your thoughts on everything we talked about? And leave a like and share it on your social media. So for Steve, my partner, Steve Morris, for Michael Vogel, for Shannon McClug, thank you very much for joining us for this live show on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom here on the Cinephiles. Take care.